With the rate of caesarean delivery growing worldwide, an analysis article in the BMJ explores some of the evidence on caesarean sections and long-term child health and calls for this evidence to be taken to an, into account in guidelines for caesarean delivery. I'm Navjoit Lada, clinical editor, and I'm joined now by one of the authors of the review, Professor Jan Bluestein of New York University, working at both the Wagner Graduate School and the medical school there. Hello, Professor Bluestein. Hello. Hi. Um, Professor Bluestein, to start with, can you tell us first about the growing caesarean rate? Where is it happening and why? Well, it may be easier to start by talking about rates rather than growth. There's so much variation globally. Um, of course, the over and, and the issue that we that you framed, which is the overuse of caesarean, of course, isn't a problem in all of the world. And we need to note that in poor countries, for example, in nations in Africa, there are women and fetuses who are dying for lack of caesarean. So we shouldn't forget that. But in much of the world, as you've said, the rates are high and growing, uh, much higher than the 15% that's been suggested by the World Health Organization as kind of the ideal rate. Uh, surprisingly, some of the highest rates globally are in so-called middle-income countries, Brazil, Mexico, and China. A uh, little variation there, but rates are hovering around 50, and in Brazil, over 50%. That's really quite astonishing. In the UK, uh, as you probably know, the rate is currently around 25%. In the US, we've gone to a third, a year and a quarter. And this is in sharp contrast to some of the Scandinavian countries where rates are generally pretty spare. For example, in Sweden, the rate is 17%. Um, what causes these variations in rate and growth? I think there's no single explanation. The Scandinavian countries, it's notable, use midwives to deliver babies generally, and midwives don't perform cesareans. Um, culture and belief play an enormous role in this, and I've been struck as I've uh, talked to my co-author, uh, Professor Liu, about this. In China, the cesarean on-demand rate is extremely high and growing, and so beliefs there about uh, the health benefits of cesarean are prevalent and very important in growth. Um, and as it's common to point out, concerns about litigation matter and finances matter. So this is a complicated story, both in terms of level and growth. There are different things going on in different parts of the world. Okay, that's really, really fascinating um, that there is this variation and so many different things can have an impact on that. Now, what you're calling for in the analysis article is that um, certain evidence is taken into account when, um, you know, when the decision's being made, where there is a choice between choosing between a particular type of delivery. Um, and you focus on um, long-term chronic disease. Um, and what can you tell us about the particular associations between caesarean delivery and chronic disease? Well, let me start just by saying what chronic diseases we're talking about. And in the article, we focus on childhood obesity, diabetes, and asthma. There is evidence about other chronic diseases, for example, Crohn's disease, or association, associational evidence. And so we're talking about a very wide range of chronic diseases. Okay. So for the ones that you describe, um, obesity, I think diabetes, and asthma, can you explain what, what the associations point to? In all three cases, what we're talking about is an elevation risk that is not dramatic, but rather is a modest elevation. So we're talking about risk or association, generally, and we're talking about those three conditions in the article. 
Now, for some of for those of us who may be some distance away from the kind of scientific background of all of this, can you remind us what the biological reasoning is and why why should there be a difference between the health of a child born by a vaginal delivery and one born by a cesarean delivery? Yeah, sure. And I don't know the answer to that. There are a number of theories. Um, and of course, this assumes that there's a causal relationship. So assuming that there is a causal relationship, that it's the vaginal delivery that does it, um, there are several interesting um, causal, uh, potential causal theories or causal dynamics. And there's been a lot of laboratory uh, evidence about this, a lot of discussion. And it's, it's quite interesting. Probably the most pre- prevalent theory is the, that uh, has to do with the disruption of the colonization of the gut microbiome. Now, that's a mouthful. And um, so what we're saying is that there are bacteria living in our uh, gut that have two main functions. One is to help us to get energy up from food, and the other is, surprisingly, to, uh, to be very much involved in our immune response. So how do those bacteria get there? Well, it turns out that part of that story is vaginal birth. Um, during birth, when the, as the baby passes through the birth canal, uh, the baby gets a big mouthful of vaginal or uh, fecal um, maternal flora. And that initial exposure is an important part of that uh, initial colonization. Of course, babies born by cesarean don't have that exposure. And um, studies have shown that they tend to be colonized by bacteria that are, in, for example, mother's skin. So there's a difference in initial colonization and whether that persists and what, that, what the um, impact of that is over life is unknown. Uh, there's some evidence that there's some uh, longevity to that difference in colonization. There are other theories. Some of them have to do with uh, stress in the hormonal environment in birth, and um, these suggest that there are change, epigenetic changes um, during that highly stressful period that have long-term consequences. This is an area of emerging research. It's something we can look to in the future, because if this is a causal relationship, and if we begin to understand the pathways, we may begin able to develop some therapeutic approaches to it. Right. Okay. And um, what can you tell us then about the evidence base that kind of links cesarean delivery to chronic disease? Um, So the types of studies that have been done and any any issues that may crop up in, in those studies? Yeah. As we've discussed in the article, there's a range of evidence. So there are different study designs and studies with different inclusion criteria. And in fact, there are well over 50 studies, and it's very challenging to make sense of the whole of them. The findings are not unequivocal, and they don't clearly point in a single direction. So one thing that I'd like to emphasize is that my co-author and I are not putting ourselves out as the experts with a definitive answer. What we we intend to do in writing the article is to uh, collect the evidence and suggest that it's ripe for expert review. And particularly in light of the trends that you talked about at the beginning, the growth in cesarean and the general movement uh, towards informing and involving patients in decisions. So the idea there being that, you know, patients can deal with uncertainty and that they should know. Let me start by putting the takeaway up front. We interpret the weight of the evidence this way. It's reasonable to believe that cesarean delivery may put child health at risk. Okay. Now, in terms of the details, um, generally we view randomized control trials as the gold standard evidence. And as we note in the piece, there have been several clinical trials of cesarean in a number of contexts. Only one of those trials followed the kids uh, beyond infancy. And in that trial, the term breach trial, there was worse health outcomes at two years among the children whose mothers were in the planned cesarean group. 
that certainly wasn't expected. And it's an important piece of evidence, I think, because of the strong study design of the clinical trial. The rest of the evidence is observational. And as we note, there are positive meta-analyses, that is, meta-analyses showing an association between cesarean and the three conditions that we examined. But the constituent studies in those meta-analyses, the individual studies, vary in terms of the issues of inclusion criteria and confounding. Now, some of those studies we believe are quite compelling. My co-author, Dr. Liu, in China, where there's a lot of cesarean on maternal requests, was able to compare the maternal request cases with vaginal deliveries and found an association with uh, overweight. So that's quite compelling. Again, the observational studies vary. There is a subspecies of observational studies, which are the new sibling pair studies from Scandinavia. Um, and they're very interesting and important because in Scandinavia there are excellent health records on large numbers of people. Those observational studies looking at sibling pairs have been interpreted to suggest that some of the apparent association between C-section and childhood disease reflects unmeasured maternal characteristics. But as we point out in this week's piece, that interpretation itself is now being questioned. So work in this area it, you know, will undoubtedly continue, and is often the case. The research findings will be interpreted differently by different readers. Um, I think it's important here to distinguish that the what you're getting at is that the this evidence should be taken into account when making choices. And so we're talking here about non-essential cesareans, which is one where there is a choice between that and a vaginal delivery. Um, so you, you'd like these decisions to be better informed by that evidence. Now, these studies that have been done, how applicable are they to non-essential cesareans? That's variable. And indeed, one of the issues in the review of the piece was were debates about what's applicable. So in medicine, we often have to make inferences across clinical settings in order to be able to, in order to have knowledge. So in the case of cesarean, for example, the term breach trial, does randomized evidence from babies breach presenting, which is presumably a random event, does randomized evidence in that context apply to the so-called so cooler moments that you were talking about. Absolutely, we're talking about situations where there is a decision to be made. There are certainly clinicians who believe that the answer to that is yes, and I imagine that there are clinicians who believe that the answer to that is no. In terms of the observational studies, part of the discussion has to do with this issue of making inferences across clinical settings, and part of it has to do with the issue of residual confounding. So risk factors that both make cesarean more likely and make the outcomes more likely, the child health outcomes more likely. And indeed, the studies, the individual studies vary in the extent to which they take those confounders into account. And so what we've suggested is that it's time for this evidence to be reviewed by experts. Undoubtedly, there will not be uh, uniformity of uh, interpretation of all studies, but our belief is that there's sufficient evidence now that it's time for a review. Okay. So what do you think needs to happen in those countries that you mentioned where there is a very high um, rate of cesarean delivery? So that's places like Brazil, Mexico, China. Where, where do they go from here? Well, that's a little bit beyond my scope. Um, I think that it actually varies from country to country. Where the clinical levers are and where the policy levers are vary by... Um, the way places are set up. So the answer to that in China is probably quite different than it is in Brazil, for example. 
So can we look at the example of Brazil in a bit more detail then? Yeah. So in Brazil, a lot of the uh, drive in cesarean has to do with, well, it has to do with a number of things, but one of them is particularly among high-income women. And I think that in uh, Brazil, probably an educational campaign, for example, might be effective. Um, so there's a very uh, there's a very strong division between the private sector and the public sector. So in the private sector, it may be that um, the sort of social desirability um, of, of cesarean needs to be addressed head on. So it's highly variable, both within countries and across countries, how this will need to be uh, addressed. Regard to guideline developers, um, what's what would be your suggestion to people developing guidelines? How how should they take this information, this evidence that you present, into account? Well, uh, they have ways of uh, reviewing um, topics. What we're suggesting is it might be time for them to revisit the issues. They're not met. This issue is not mentioned at all in current guidelines, which I think is quite striking. Um, so I guess our suggestion is that it's time for them to reconvene and to do business as they're accustomed to doing it. As we know, guidelines do not uh, state that research is either good or bad. It grades the evidence. And so what I would hope would happen is that we get some recommendations that would at least include this information so that when we go and inform patients, as we are obligated to do, we'd be able to include the information and let the, let the patients decide. Different people, may, uh, different people may have different values here. There are trade-offs, undoubtedly. Yeah. And looking to sort of future research as well, I mean, you've you've already mentioned that there was only one trial that compared deliveries that track children beyond the perinatal period up to two years. And also, as you describe in the analysis article, we're getting a growing appreciation that it's the mode of delivery as well that it's important, not just whether it's vaginal or cesarean, but whether it's an operative versus unassisted vaginal delivery, for example. So it seems that in general, we need more evidence to inform practice in this area. Well, we always need more evidence. And um, that's where we are. Everyone likes uh, randomized clinical trial evidence. And there have been calls for RCTs, as you've mentioned, um, some for cesarean and maternal request, and um, some in other clinical settings. And those may vary in terms of their feasibility and ethical uh, whether they can actually be done it from an ethical perspective. Um, as we note in the piece, it would be very efficient if the previous trials could be uh, followed up, the kids in the previous trials could be found and followed up to see how they're doing. Funders don't usually support that kind of work, it, but it seems like very important work potentially in this context. Stronger observational studies are certainly going to help, especially those done with better clinical data, and there's a move towards better clinical data with more information about uh, the indication for cesarean uh, or the, uh, as you point out, whether it's in a, a completely unassisted vaginal birth or an operative one is an important variable duration of labor and so on. I have to say that this is not something where the research is going to resolve the issue quickly. You know, even if we were be able to start a terrific clinical trial tomorrow, we'd have to wait for the kids to grow up. And uh, so... I, I would back away a bit on this uh, in terms of future research and be very hopeful that we will get more information. But uh, in terms of the present, what we know is that normal labor and delivery is really a complex series of physiological events. There's intricate preparation for delivery and lots of give and take between the mother and fetus, both before and, and during. Sue Buley um, of London has written a lot about the enlivening, or she's written about the enlivening aspect of birth in a way that I find quite compelling. And it's hard to believe there isn't some logic 
in the birth process. It's developed over mammalian evolution. So that is, although that's not one of the studies that we uh, reviewed for this week's article, I think that's a general frame in which I view the evidence. I guess our bottom line, uh, me and my co-author in the piece, is this. As, as we've pointed out, we live in a world in which the cesarean rate is widely acknowledged to be too high. And as I've said, I think a summary is that the research makes it reasonable to believe that cesarean poses risk to child health. It seems to us that this is important and worth attending to going forward. Uh, Professor Jan Bloomstein, thanks so much for joining us today. That was uh, excellent. Um, and that analysis article is now available on the bmj.com.